this is Steve Prom. Welcome to the fourth in our series of podcasts on the topic of agility. I'm speaking with Gunter Puchek about his experience in a top 15 pharma company where he had responsibilities for a mid-sized market, a very large European market, and was also the head of strategy on a European level. I'm a partner with Oxygy. We're in the business of helping clients rethink, innovate, and implement new ways of working. Personally, I've focused most of my consulting time on leaders and leadership teams and their effectiveness. Why agility? You know, today it's quite obvious in the, in the public health crisis that we're in the, in the middle of that uh, we have to somehow find a way through uncharted territory. But I think previously, for the last 10 years or more, many of us have been running multiple business models to be relevant and successful in different markets and with different groups of customers. The topics that we've been addressing over the, the series have related to creating a common purpose, being entrepreneurial, empowering, delegating, developing individuals in the organization. Today, we're going to deep dive into the topic of experimentation. Why that? Because organizations, if they want to innovate, have to get breakthroughs. And if they want to have breakthroughs, they've got to foster the sense of experimentation and, 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 and that runs counter to many of the cultures we have, which, which are risk averse, frankly. And, and certainly pharma companies, for good reasons, have a history of a risk averse culture. So Gunter, talk, talk to us about what leaders can do to create a more agile, experimental, adaptive mindset in, inside the company. From my experience, um, if you want people to be more open-minded and experimental, challenging themselves and others. I think first of all, it's absolutely key to ensure a sense of security and belonging. And there is a sociological and uh, physical reason for that. In the early days of evolution, belonging to a herd and uh, being socially accepted meant benefiting from the protection of the herd. This triggers uh, the release of oxytocin, which is creating openness for new things, enhancing self-confidence and reducing anxiety. Immunity is not the only benefit of being a part of a herd. It's also a sense of belonging. I'm glad to know that. And security and belonging are a prerequisite for curiosity, as you say, and there's, there's, a, there's a historical, biological, evolutionary reason for that. So I guess what you're saying is that if you're leading an organization, you want them to take risks, they have to first have a sense of security. So give us some specific examples of what things you did as a leader to help people feel more secure and strengthen the sense of belonging. When I moved from Zurich to Berlin, I traveled a lot in the first two months uh, for job transitioning reasons. And in the local organization, being in the middle of a strategic transformation, there was ambiguity about why is he so many times not in the office, not in, in Berlin with us. So being visible and accessible um, as a leader is really important, especially in tough times. And moreover, it's key to be inclusive, invite people to contribute, and especially to create safe opportunities for followers to express their concerns and uh, allow them to feel part of the whole. And there are actually many things you can do to create these opportunities, ranging from wandering around to attending functional offsites, to hosting group discussions, to do regular update meetings, or to conduct all employee town halls. From my experience, the bigger the event, the more formal the setting, the less likely it is that you get uh, close enough. And I've made 
very good experience with small events such as breakfast sessions or what we call fireside talks, complementing the, the, the big ones. So in, in big events, people are not going to express their insecurity. They might express their anger, but they won't feel comfortable enough in that large setting. So, so say more about the fireside talks. Uh, how often did you do them? How many people were involved? Uh, once a quarter, an alternating member of my leadership team and me were hosting eight colleagues uh, from different functions across the local affiliate at uh, those fireside talks to openly discuss uh, important topics such as uh, purpose and ambition, or cross-functional collaboration, innovation, agility, customer centricity, and so on. Discussing them in the light of their day-to-day -day work. The objective of these uh, events was, on the one hand, to provide the bigger picture and the context, and on the other hand, to understand perceptions and concerns of colleagues. There was a second objective, which was to also show appreciation for the good work which has been done. Personal invitation with handwritten invitation cards, the discussion uh, took place, discussions took place in an appealing environment uh, with a great dinner and an overnight stay in a nice hotel. But most importantly, uh, a couple of hours of full attention from leadership. The format was a pretty open one. Uh, short opening statement uh, from myself uh, on the topic, followed by a free-flowing discussion only guided by a few carefully prepared questions. It was also to create an atmosphere of psychological uh, safety. And, and we had one rule, uh, which was what's discussed here stays here unless the group uh, agrees on certain topics to be taken on when back in the office. So that also probably helped with the potential for people who were reporting to you, because I imagine these were with a cross-section of employees, right, up and down the organization. So that helped uh, reduce the threat, right, that somehow the, the boss yeah. is going to be listening in on the organization because it was really meant to be a, a confidential conversation unless everyone agreed to, to move it forward. Uh, so how were, the, how were these talks, informal talks, perceived by the organization? Uh, Steve, you, you certainly know the old joke. Huh? First prize is a dinner with the CEO. The second one is two dinners with the CEO. <laughs> um, but actually, actually, uh, fortunately, uh, these fireside talks uh, were very well accepted. Yeah, for the first uh, talk, uh, people were a bit unsecure what to expect. But uh, from the second onwards, almost everybody was keen to get an invitation. It was quite a time investment, but I think very well spent and uh, for me a great opportunity to listen uh, to their participants' thoughts about the transformation, to understand their concerns and ideas, to put things into perspective and to finally uh, show appreciation and trust to really plant this uh, sense of security and belonging. So I've heard when you talk about safety uh, and psychological safety, it makes perfect sense because people don't take risks if, if they're afraid. But there's always this tension between you know, giving people a, an important challenge, we talked about that with empowerment, and, and the source of innovation, because it's, it's, it's always, there's something always inherent. There's, there's, there's a possibility it could go wrong. Say more about that. Conflicts or creative tensions are certainly a tricky topic in practice and uh, require really a, a good balance. So engage, uh, engaging in conflict over ideas, even encouraging 
uh, task-related conflict rather than avoiding it can certainly help drive innovation. Personal conflict uh, has, of course, uh, to be avoided. But you also need to understand the maturity level in terms of problem versus solution orientation in your organization. If a discussion of a new idea starts with raising hurdles and reasons why it cannot work, the idea is easily killed before getting anywhere. And to trigger a strong solution orientation, we agreed on a kind of golden rule. Uh, no problem statement or criticism without the proposal for a solution. And actually, uh, this was an outcome of one of our fireside talks. Moreover, out-of-the-box thinking, productive debate, experimentation, and so on, needs constant reinforcement. And actually, it requires a lot of primarily positive reinforcement, more than we uh, as a leaders might think. According to an interesting research from Losada and Hifi, showing the impact of uh, positive feedback on team performance, there is an ideal praise-criticism uh, ratio, which is uh, six to one. And therefore, recognizing and rewarding for being curious, for asking questions, for trying out new things is, is, is highly important. And for us husbands, uh, Steve, maybe good to know is that the research was confirmed by Gottman. Yeah? So, uh, he found out that the likelihood of couples to remain married or to get divorced was significantly influenced by the ratio of positive to negative uh, comments. I highly recommend to all of the above said to really strongly appreciate past work done and uh, to relate the new way of working with the changing environments. Otherwise, people may think that they need to change the way of working because they have done a poor job in the past. How did you, how did you phrase that with, with people? How did you position it so they didn't feel like, oh, wait a minute, you know, all, everything I've been doing in the last years is wrong. Now I've got to, he's asking me to, to change it. That's an interesting topic. So you position it to say, it's the environment that's changed. That's why we need to change, right? But let, let's, let's shift gears and, and talk about why is it that experimentation and, and risk-taking is such a, such a key? Yeah, fostering uh, innovation and experimentation or for fostering um, uh, innovation and experimentation, it's absolutely key how an organization and especially how their leaders deal with failure. Imagine if you punish uh, people for a well-intentioned failure made, guess who will dare to try out something new again? And I'm not talking about endorsing failure due to neg uh, negligent work or avoidable mistakes. I'm talking about well-intentioned purpose-driven mistakes. Leaders, by how they react to failure, create the norms for appropriate uh, risk-taking. Uh, for example, defining failures as uh, learning opportunities and thereby legitimizing failure as part of the discovery and growth. On the other hand, to mitigate risk, leaders should be also very clear about which failures are not tolerated because they are jeopardizing the company as a whole. Overall, the organization needs to hear from its leaders. When we are pursuing our purpose with perseverance and passion, we understand that even when we fail at the task or goal, we aren't failing as a person. I remember an assignment I had that, that gave me an insight on exactly that point, uh, Gunter. We, I was asked uh, to support a team that from the corporate center based in New York City, and the idea was, you know, instead of going out and auditing the different functions. We, we manufacture, it's a fast-moving consumer good, 
company. We manufacture in 40 locations. Let's pick the 10 best and go learn from them. And my assignment at the time was to interview the general manager. And, and guess what? Whether it was Colombia, Germany, or Thailand, the attribute that they had together was, first, they were curious. They developed themselves. They were always showing me, here's a book. You need to read this. And when I asked them about how do you deal with mistakes, they said, well, we try not to make them twice, but if you want to innovate, you have to have breakthroughs. If you want breakthroughs, you have to take risks. I think it reinforces exactly, uh, exactly what you're saying. Speed is also an issue, Gunter, right? And, and there's some things inherent in, uh, in an organization that kind of keeps it stable. But, but talk to us about speed and the importance that that plays in, in experimentation and agility. Yeah, absolutely key is uh, prioritization. But also to let go of mindset uh, that a new idea must be fully baked and have every bell and whistle before being deployed. Um, maybe an example of what I mean. One of the teams has developed, in co-creation with opinion leaders, a fantastic digital tool uh, for literature search and in indirect study comparison. But uh, from having a really solid, uh, minimal viable, viable uh, product in place. It took another six months before it was rolled out because the team was constantly fine-tuning any small detail to make it really perfect from their perspective. And it took me a lot of convincing in terms of now it's really good enough to pilot the tool in the real world instead of uh, continue improving it. Do not spend too much thoughts on potential imperfection of solutions and instead prioritize and uh, focus on working in sprints, prototype, and co-create, pilot, and use further insights and input gained from customers to adapt accordingly. So sp speed is a, is a priority, also you know, making it visible that you as a leader are committed to a specific task that, that you've assigned. We've talked also in this particular podcast, uh, Gunter, about the prerequisite of security and belonging to taking risks. Interesting example of, of you providing a safe environment for people to do that. And we've also talked about the, the, the tension, the inevitable tension between innovation and uh, risk taking. And it reminds me that conflict management is more and more a capability that we need, right? To be able to, because the conflict will necessarily go up if you're driving an agile, innovative organization. So how do you deal with that? That's a skill set, right? Just as we talked last time about influencing to manage the matrix, Managing conflicts is, 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 is an important capability that organizations will need more and more of. Thank you very much for that, uh, Gunter, and for your participation in this uh, series on, on agility. For those of you listening, we've, we've touched on a number of themes. You've just uh, listened to the last one on fostering experimentation. Please be sure to visit the other modules and podcasts on empowerment, delegation, development of individuals. Second in the series was on entrepreneurialism. And the first was really framing the topic of agility. And we've titled it uh, Learning to Dance because in this world and environment that we're in, it's, uh, it's not just one tune that's playing, it's, it's multiple. So we hope you've enjoyed this. And as we said before, encourage you to reach out by email, LinkedIn, on the website, and uh, join the dialogue. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm.